Good morning, everybody. You're very welcome to this morning's webinar. Um, my name is Una Gilvari. I'm the CTO of HCI. So yes, we've done a number of these previously um, where we take a number of HICWA inspection reports as they are released and we do some trending and analysis uh, thereof and look at some of the key findings. Because as we all know, with the inspections as they roll out, there are particular areas of focus and, and hot topics and they generally roll in um, as, as the inspections follow on, there's a key particular area that, that inspectors are looking at. So we just need to be aware of the types of findings um, that are coming through in the, the, the recent inspection reports. As I said, most of you know who HCI are at this stage. We, um, we help health and social care providers to make intelligence-driven decisions and attain, manage, and improve their quality, safety, and regulatory compliance. We're over 17 years in business now and have almost 30 people on staff and we've uh, supported over 600 health and social care organizations to date with their regulatory compliance but always with the focus on person-centered care just before we get into the analysis that we've completed over the last uh, little while i just wanted to look around and see what's new in relation to regulatory compliance and inspection in that regard and this is just a, a clip from the most recent HICWA newsletter um, that was that, that they circulated in August. And it's just, it gives an idea of the types of areas that they're focusing on uh, uh, at the moment. And it details that HICWA are continuing to recruit new staff and are therefore increasing the numbers of inspections that they're carrying out. But their key focus continues to be on infection control. And we're gonna look in detail at some of this, the findings in relation to infection control. We know the massive, um, push that has been made in relation to IPC, but they're continuing to look at that continuous improvement model and really reaching a much higher quality of, of, um, of, of regulatory compliance uh, in that regard. And we'll have a little look at that in a little while. But areas of good practice that they have identified and, and is, is in particularly I thought of interest was a strengthened governance model, that it's not just IPC on ground roots level, that they're incorporating the IPC model into that governance and that robust comprehensive model that's required to support it. And from that, I suppose, the appointment of infection control leads, linking with the public health and building the relationships that are required in relation uh, to supporting the IPC model. Outbreak management and reporting were found to be in reasonably good shape, as is the promotion of vaccine uptake. And they found implementation of IPC guidance and mandatory training for staff is certainly improving and moving in the right way. But areas that require a little bit more focus and, and improvement from their perspective. Number one was antimicrobial stewardship. And I suppose that's something that has been moving around in the ether, I suppose a little bit, uh, a little bit separate from the IPC model, but certainly one that is now coming to the fore. And they're looking for um, much more greater understanding and application of the antimicrobial stewardship model within uh, the nursing home structure. They're looking for continual adherence to the standard-based precautions and transmission-based precautions. And I suppose, again, we'll see this in some of the findings where there were opportunities um, that are being lost that they can identify during the walk around. So they want those precautions to be really part of the way that we do business on a day-to-day -day basis and that it's, uh, you know, it's implemented without any additional thought, that it's just the way that it is implemented on a day-to-day -day basis. Audits have been a key problem in relation to IPC, uh, where 
there has been progression in audits being done, but it's about the quality of those audits and the comprehensiveness of those audits and the follow up and close out of the findings in that regard. And that's something that we'll see a little bit later. They're looking for improvements in relation to visiting risk assessments and I suppose facing into the winter. Um, there are some additional considerations that we're going to need to look at in relation to uh, visiting risk assessment. Oversight and supervision of cleaning practices, although, again, there has been an investment in the in cleaning practices and, and the resources relating to it, they want to ensure the comprehensiveness of those and ensuring that they're appropriately supervised and that the oversight of the training that is provided to cleaning staff is there to support, again, the comprehensiveness of it. They again reference out in the newsletter to the guidance framework to Regulation 27, protection of infection, and I suppose in the broader frame of things, and we'll see that reference in the findings, looking at the HICWA, um, the national standards for IPC and community settings, which uh, it released in 2018, which has to be central now to our focus as we progress. Um, it really is a, a broader approach to IPC that we need to be moving towards at this stage. Okay, so that was from their uh, most recent newsletter, and now we'll just have a look, I suppose, at the central focus of this morning's webinar. So um, we've done a number of these to date, uh, where we look at a number of randomly selected HICWA reports and identify key areas of interest and types of findings on, under the, the regulations. The ones that we looked at, the 20 inspection reports that we've looked at um, within this webinar were all released between March and May of this year, so they're quite relevant and up to date. Before we get into the details of the specific findings, I just wanted to look at this. It's, it's an interesting table, both from uh, well, under the two dimensions, the capacity and capability and the quality and safety. But if we just look at these, and I've flagged up, I suppose, some of the key areas that we're going to be looking at. But before we look at the specifics, if we look at the number of services inspected against the regulation, so there are um, of the 20 samples selected all, um, under governance and management and staffing, all 20 uh, were thoroughly reviewed by HICWA under their uh, inspection on site and training and staff development coming in quite closely at 18. But again, governance and management, if we just focus on that particularly, of, so all of the services were inspected. And shockingly, 90% of those services were found to be not, uh, not compliant. Now, 85% of those being uh, not compliant orange, but still it's a very, very significant number um, uh, to, to be identified as being not compliant. In staffing, we had 30%, 25% of those being not compliant orange, but just 5% being non-compliant red. And records, 36% being not compliant in that regard. Staff and training, um, 39%. So again, um, quite significant numbers coming through uh, in relation to it. And if we look at the quality and safety dimension, then there's some more information to identify here. Infection control, unsurprisingly, all 20 inspected against it, but also in residence rights. Um, with some very high findings in residence rights in relation to non-compliance, we generally would see the compliance rating a, a lot lower uh, or a lot higher within residence rights, but it's, it's the non-compliant level of 40% uh, of this bundle of 20. Fire precautions, 18%. In fact, I'm surprised it wasn't the full 20, but 67% of those services being found to be not compliant with 28% not compliant red and that's the highest not compliant red of all of the regulations uh, that were analyzed in this regard 
All right, let's move on and we look at the specific findings uh, under the particular dimensions. So looking at capacity and capability, and not surprisingly, we're going to focus first of all on governance and management. And in the not compliant red category, the management and oversight of systems uh, was found to be not effective in this regard. And it was evidenced by systems to ensure effective allocation of staffing resources provided were not in place and did not assure the effective delivery of care in accordance with the statement of purpose. We've seen this now in a, a number of cases where we have particular non-compliant red findings under the specific regulations, but also they're being listed under governance and management. So you're getting a double non-compliance, as I said, under governance management and under the specific regulations. So staffing resources is a particular area of focus within a number of the 20 uh, reports that were reviewed. And we'll see that uh, at some of the specific details as we move forward. They identified that risk was not appropriately managed and resulted in a culture of over-restrictive and institutional practices, which were negatively impacting on residents' quality of life, positive risk-taking, rights and well-being. So again, this is will link back to our residents' rights. We can see there was quite a high non-compliance level in relation to residents' rights. And this again is being reflected not only under that regulation, but under the governance and management uh, model also. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little while under residents' rights, but some of the non-compliant orange findings. We found that there was a quality and safety of service. Uh, the review was being completed in 2021. However, there was no evidence that this review was prepared in consultation with residents and their families. And I think a trend when we look through the findings uh, today, you'll find that in many cases, there was efforts to comply with the requirements, but that they weren't fully implemented that we that all so in this case we had the quality and safety review but yet it didn't meet all of the requirements by involving the residents and their families in that regard in another case meetings of staff grades were infrequent and there was no evidence of shared learning to drive improvements in the provision of care so registered providers stated that the risk management policy that there was a clinical governance committee and a health and safety committee that would be in place to oversee identified risks however the inspector was told that neither committee existed so in this uh, situation we had uh, probably very detailed thorough policies and procedures and processes that we could illustrate to the inspectors. However, they were not actually being implemented uh, within the organization. So that is something to, to, to keep an eye on. KPIs, we had falls, restraints, weight loss, pressure ulcers, indwelling catheter KPIs. These were being monitored weekly. However, they found that the KPIs did not reflect the clinical findings of the inspection and therefore failed to provide clinical oversight of how the service was performing and analyzing the information to, to improve outcomes for residents. So in this instance, we had um, a, a lot of where, where we had allegedly the data coming through for monitoring um, of the, the, the quality and safety of the service. However, when HICWA came on site and, and uh, inspected um, the outputs that they identified, they found that there was an imbalance in that and that the key KPIs were not truly reflective of the clinical findings within the organization. They identified also under governance and management uh, deficits in, in premises. And uh, when these were being escalated to the register provider, there was no quality improvement plans being driven to address these issues. So again, information being provided from the service and being pushed up towards senior management, but no uh, 
drive our quality improvement arising from this communication. The monthly number of residents falls was discussed at a recent management meeting. However, again, no evidence that the RP had a system in place to review the causes and effects of these incidents. So no root cause analysis being completed to ensure that, um, that, that, that the, the issues could be addressed and we could improve the quality of care in that regard. Finally, audit tools. And again, as I mentioned at the opening of this, the audit practices uh, are not being found to be sufficiently robust in a number of facilities. In some cases, audits aren't being done at all, but in other cases, they're not reflective of the findings that inspectors are identifying on the day of the inspection. Um, in other cases, audits are not, um, they're not identifying action plans. Um, uh, they're not, and, and then the, again, there's no drive for the continuous improvement. We're not tracking or trending uh, the audit findings, uh, and again, not driving the continuous improvement in that regard. From a staffing perspective under Regulation 15, we found that the allocation of staff, again, did not always ensure that the adequate numbers were provided with appropriate skills to ensure that the residents' needs, supports, and choices were being met. So again, there's a recognition that with the level of dependencies and, and, and the requirements of the residents that there just there was no possible way that the staff that were available to them were be going to be able to provide a quality of life to the residents uh, within the facility. The communal area they found to be unsupervised with six residents present where inspectors actually had to intervene during the inspection uh, to try and support residents with their requirements. They found six vacant day shifts on the day inspection and the residents had to wait for staff assistance, including at, for, during access to meals. PICs did not have additional managerial support in running the centre. The senior staff nurse was working as a staff nurse without any managerial hours allocated. And, you know, uh, this, this has become central to a focus um, with, with HICWA, particularly within the governance model, that there's a sufficient amount of managerial support uh, with the level of roles and responsibilities that a PIC is carrying, that there is a support model uh, there available to them. Uh, to be able to implement those roles and responsibilities. Activities coordinators were available. However, they found that in the absence of these coordinators, um, the, uh, uh, roles and responsibilities were being allocated to care staff who were expected to take these on. There was only one nurse on duty after eight to administer the nighttime medication and to provide nursing care for up to 43 residents, which is obviously not going to be appropriate. Inspectors found that there was insufficient cleaning staff to ensure that the residential centre was cleaned and disinfected to a high level. For example, one unit had no dedicated cleaning staff from a quarter to three until 6.45 the following morning, uh, which meant that it, was re it remained unclean throughout the evening. In another facility, no laundry staff were allocated on the day of inspection and the care staff were found to be carrying out laundry duties in addition to their caring roles. There was not sufficient staff allocated to support residents to meet their social care needs during weekends or to provide activities and social contact for those residents who did not attend the group activities within communal areas. So they were the two key areas under that uh, dimension, but also records had a finding uh, on a smaller level, but again, a, a particularly important finding. Significant improvements were required in relation to record management. Of a sample of four staff files, two did not have guard the vetting disclosures um, and another two uh, did not contain photographic identification. And these are at this stage being identified as a red risk. 
some of the orange risks, resident records not being stored safely, records of the residents transferred to hospital not containing all data as required by Schedule 3, and records being disjointed and difficult to review. And this is something that we found particularly with facilities who are kind of covering both paper and electronic systems. And in some cases, the detail can fall between the gaps and it can make it very difficult to track the progress of particular areas in relation uh, to wound treatment specifically. And then res resident repositioning charts were not in place uh, for those residents who required frequent changes of position. In training and development, no red wrists, but a number of orange. Um, and, and we've seen this time and time again about staff not being up to date with mandatory training. Um, and, and this, as I said, I think in all of the summary reports that we've ever completed, this is probably the number one finding under training and development. In another case, uh, the RP did not have a system in place for staff development, supervision, or regular performance appraisals. And that's something that certainly we've seen again and again also in relation to performance appraisals and driving training plans um, from the outcomes of those performance appraisals. Staff did not recognize that overly restrictive practices and routines infringed on the rights of many residents living in the center. For example, it was accepted practice among staff that residents had restricted access to their clothing and possessions, their bedrooms, communal dining and seating areas or to the outdoor areas. And this is about the culture uh, that was in that organization, that they just deemed that that was acceptable, that that overly restrictive practice was just the way that it was. And that was um, that was they didn't identify that that was deeply infringing on the rights of these residents. So a lack of training, not only from the staff, but also from uh, the wider managerial process. So under the second dimension, then under quality and safety, not surprisingly, inspection control being our number one port of call. Under the red non-compliant risks, the RP had not ensured that procedures were consistent with the national standards for the infection prevention control of community services published by HICWED. So these were not being implemented. So as I said, the, the push is very much there in relation to getting ahead of these, uh, get, getting, on, uh, uh, getting on board with the national standards for IPC and being aware of the gaps of where your service are against the requirements in that regard. They identified that there wasn't adequate management arrangements in place to assure the delivery uh, and effective IPC controls within the service. Gaps were identified. There was no IPC audits in this case, and uh, also there was no uh, COVID-19 contingency plan on the day of inspection. Other red risk staffing was not effectively planned, organized or managed to meet the IPC needs and issues included insufficient cleaning resources and also um, equipment was not cleaned or, or disinfected to a safe standard. The center was trying to have separate cohorts of groups of staff, but this was not always possible and staff were seen crossing into all areas of the center. Resident equipment such as unclean wheelchairs and hoists were stored in the same room as sterile dressings and supplies. There was an excessive amount of healthcare waste bags that were in unsecured areas. And vinyl gloves were being utilized rather than nitrile. And these are not recommended as they do not provide adequate protection against blood and body fluids. In another instance, the correct chlorine bleach product was in place for disinfection, but staff were using an incorrect dilution rate and were not using appropriate contact time and wiping after use as per the manufacturing guidance. Some of the orange ones, 
premises being in a poor state that, did, that didn't support effective cleaning, limited number of hand wash sinks, clinical hand wash sinks, and sinks is a particular area of focus. Another one, sinks in a residence rooms were being used uh, for dual purpose by residents and staff. Some items of residence equipment were visibly unclean and a bedpan washer hadn't been serviced in over two years and therefore the correct temperature could not be verified. And laundry facilities not having that dirty to clean system in place was also identified. Fire precautions continues to, uh, to, to throw up a number of non-conformances. Some of the red findings, inspectors saw that a number of serious findings that were highlighted in an external report in 2021 had not yet been addressed. And the basement area of the building contained large volumes of combustible storage. Oxygen cylinders are always a particular area of focus. And in this case, um, they did not have signage to indicate the presence of oxygen and the rooms weren't suitably ventilated for their storage. There were two residence bedrooms that did not have fire detection and there were holes in service, uh, and service penetration through fire barriers, which required repair. Safety doors, fire safety doors is always again um, a, a, an area of focus. In this case, there was damage where the doors weren't capable of being closed, broken locks and gaps around the door themselves. There was inadequate management of the keys to the exit doors. Um, and the inspector noted that the two lock exits did not have the break glass key adjacent to the doors. There was gaps in the daily fire, uh, the daily and weekly fire prevention checklist and service records to confirm quarterly and annual maintenance and servicing had not been issued due to outstanding maintenance and repair works required on both systems for both emergency lighting and the fire alarm system. Additional requirement or non-compliant red staff who spoke to the inspector were not clear how to respond to fire emergencies or the evacuation procedures. Uh, the procedures to be followed in the event of fire emergency were not displayed at appropriate location. Those fire exits were not clearly signed or illuminated, and the ORP had not carried out a simulated fire drill with the minimum staffing at appropriate intervals. And certainly that is particularly important for those nighttime drills. Residence rights, as I said, was something that we're kind of a little bit surprised to see coming to the fore, but there were some significant findings in this regard uh, over the number of reports reviewed. It identified under red findings that residents' rights to exercise choice and how they spent their day was not being respected. Residents' daily routines were largely determined by the established routines of staff and did not reflect individual resident preferences or flexible routines determined by the resident. Male and female residents were segregated by locked doors. This seemed to be a well-established practice and did not reflect the current needs of the residents or their preferences. And residents were not provided with adequate opportunities to engage in meaningful social activities which met their interests and, and capabilities and capacities. And I suppose this is something that uh, from COVID where we saw in such detail or such uh, real infringement on residents' um, ability to socialize but we're now in, in, in a situation where we need to open those back up again and ensure that there's meaningful social activities not for those who can just engage in group activities but also those that are um, more restricted based on their dependency levels non-compliant orange the uh, inspector observed practices which were institutionalized rather than person-centered and we've seen this uh, raised in in the governance um, regulation also in this instance, residents were allocated days when they were scheduled for a shower. Inspectors observed staff using incontinence bed sheets, and they observed incidents where staff moved residents without asking them for their consent or explaining to them 
where, where what they were intending to do, or again, transferring residents in wheelchairs without foot pedal support. So some significant findings in that regard. The inspectors found that call bells for residents were not within easy reach or were not working, and in communal areas, bells were missing. There were no residence meetings or residence service to provide communication and feedback on the organization of the residential center. And the inspector noted that several residents stayed in their bedrooms throughout the entirety of the inspection and were not sufficiently supported to engage in any meaningful activities. The inspector observed that there was a high resilience on telev television viewing for residents on both days. Premises, uh, we, we've touched on it briefly, I suppose, uh, is linked to the IPC findings, but they're in, particularly under Regulation 17, they reference that there was an insufficient number of bathrooms or assisted toilet facilities to meet needs of residents. There were two toilets available for over 17 residents. Not all of those were assisted toilets or were they in close proximity to the residents' bedrooms. There was no communal toilet or shower facilities on one unit at all. And that meant that residents would have to travel considerable distance to the day room or dining room to use ensuite facilities. A sitting room and relaxation room, which had been redesignated as staff rooms for the COVID-19 pandemic, remained as such and thus reduced the communal space for residents. And again, that's linked to, to what we mentioned earlier, where we were put in you know, um, very difficult situations during the COVID-19 and we had to make particular decisions um, um, at that stage. We now need to look at those controls or restrictions that were put in place and ensure that they uh, you know, whether they actually remain appropriate as we move forward. Improvements required in the oversight and maintenance. Um, we've seen these uh, time and time again, I suppose, wear and tear on paintwork, flooring needing to be replaced, furniture being in a state of disrepair, rust and damage on radiators, and, and strong smells in sluice rooms. And these are something that we've seen uh, come up on, the, uh, on time and time again. Some Particular areas of note in, in, in a few regulations, although these weren't particularly high rates of non-compliance, but some areas of interest uh, under Regulation 29, uh, allergy status of residents not being documented on all uh, MARs, multiple examples where medication transcribed as PRNs did not have a maximum dose or an indication for when the medication should be administered. In another case, PRN was being administered, but this was not actually prescribed for the resident. Regular medication had been admitted in error 15 times in the past month. However, this medication had been signed in the MAR as being administered. And this is a finding that we've seen uh, uh, through some serious, in, uh, serious incident reviews and some external reporting uh, that has been completed where regular medication has been signed off as being uh, has, has been administered, but not actually uh, being provided to the resident. Medications were being administered to a number of residents in an altered format, such as crushed. However, these medications had not always been individually prescribed as being crushed by their GP. In Regulation 7, managing behaviour that's challenging, just a couple of findings here. The use of bed rails was not always being risk assessed and alternatives were not always trialed prior to use. No system in place to monitor safety and response of the resident when the bed rails were being applied. And then documentation, including care plans and behavior charts uh, did not fully outline potential triggers to behavior or the de-escalation techniques to be used. 
Efforts to determine and alleviate the underlying causes of residents' behavior was not consistently explored before administering psychotropic medications. One of the last ones here in relation to individual assessment and care planning, some of the findings at an orange level. The majority of care plans had not been uh, updated since May 2021, quite significant. A falls risk assessment had not been updated for a resident who was admitted in 2018. Care plans did not consistently reflect residents' current health and social care needs. So examples seen where resident supports needs had changed, but the care plans did not reflect those changes. Nutritional care plans were not updated to reflect the latest recommendations from the health and social professionals and care plans not being prepared within 48 hours of admission. In relation to protection, I particularly listed this one because it was of something that doesn't come up quite as often. Um, a system in place for the management of residents' finances was not sufficiently robust. The RP was acting as a pension agent for some residents living in the residential centre. However, the pension was paid into the residential centre's account and not into the resident's client account. The charges for the service were deducted before the balance was paid into the resident's client account. And that was not in compliance with the requirements of the Department of Social Welfare, which requires that the pension agent must pay the full amount of the pension without deductions of any kind to the resident. And also linked to that, the system in place for the management of residents' monies, personal monies, was not sufficiently robust. Four accounts were checked, and two of these accounts balances were found to be incorrect. So a particularly interesting area of focus and something that is obviously of great concern. The full detail of this inspection report, uh, as I said, is, is detailed. We, we complete quite a detailed summary of, the, of the, the 20 inspection reports. And I know Rosemary will be making this available to all of you um, after this morning's webinar. Please feel free to circulate it to those of you within your other orga or wider organization. There may be particular areas of interest to them. Just to flag up to you, HCI Care Tools is still available. It's an online store which you can purchase your evidence-based documentation. It has policies and procedures and care plans and forms and templates and everything you could need in relation to the regulations, standards and guidance and incorporates all of those requirements. Uh, Rosemary has kindly detailed that there's a coupon code. I love a coupon code. HCI Webinar 10, the 10% of all of the documents purchased before the 5th of October. Or you can contact Rosemary or info at hci.care. But on that regard, we, I think we, we can wrap it up with that. Thank you very much for everybody who took the time to, um, to listen this morning. And we'll be back. It won't be too long, I'm sure, before Rosemary. We'll have another topic of interest to discuss. And uh, Rosemary will make you all aware of it on our social media channels. And uh, look forward to linking up with you then. Thank you very much, everybody.